Thank you for leading us into that place and time of worship. Thank you, team. Just while I do that, say, hey, good morning, hello to all, each and every one of you. Welcome to Hobson Baptist Church. Welcome to our, our family. And uh, just want to shout out again, I didn't say this in the first service, a big shout to add out to all those who are serving over these, uh, these recent weeks, particularly with the two services. So thank you to everyone. So the COVID team, uh, those who are serving uh, here, thank you uh, for doing this twice. You, get, guys, get, you guys are blessed because you get to hear me twice. You're feeling it, aren't you, Reed? You're feeling it, man. I feel you, brother. I feel your pain. Um, so anyway, <laughs> uh, so I just thank you to everyone. And it, who knows that it's uh, things to come together happens because people are doing their, their bit. So good to see you today. I hope you are doing well. And I hope that after this message, we are still friends, okay? Um, because we're going to go somewhere today uh, that... that that can be a little squirmy, a little challenging, and uh, it's always with the sense of not trying to be tough on anyone, but certainly to be true to what God would say to us. So please hear it in that. Hear it in that spirit and that heart. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your kindness and goodness. And today, Lord, speak to me, speak to us, speak to our hearts, Lord. We are here at a place now together to surrender. As Yvette said so wonderfully, we're here, Father, to see and experience change and encounter you, the living God. And we can do that individually, but we can do it on a greater scale together. And so we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together and celebrate in your name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. I see a few new faces, so welcome. And if... Uh, I'm always mindful when we have new faces or people I'm not overly familiar with. I'm, I'm mindful not to, to be too uh, confrontational in the message because I feel that they're going, wow, that guy just went off his tree. No, I don't want to do that today, but I certainly want to highlight some thoughts. We're going to be starting a series on the book of Colossians. And can I just say, this book is explosive. This book is powerful. This book is life-changing. This book is dramatic. It is exciting. It is wonderful. And as you can tell, I get a bit excited because it's one of my really all-time favorite books. And we're going to unpack this over the next number of weeks to realize why. What it does teach me and what it does teach us is that there is a God who is in love with you. He loves you so, so much. And we get to discover in this particular book that throughout the theme, I suppose the theme of it really is understanding how to experience fullness of life in Christ Jesus. Just remember that, how we can live, how we can enter into a place, no matter what is going on around about us, that we can experience physically, but even spiritually, this place of fullness of life in Christ Jesus. And so I want to encourage you that this is a little book, but it packs a powerful punch. 
And it will, if you read this with an open heart and an open mind, if you cannot and are not challenged by reading this, then just humble yourself again and say, Lord, tell me, show me, what are you saying to me in these words? Because God will get you. God will get you in this book. I can promise you that. And so this is the premise in which I want to share with you this morning. The other thought that we identify in this book is particularly is Christ is in all. And that Christ is everything that you and I need to follow him, to be effective disciples, to be effective followers of God. It is all here. And so this little book is great. Four chapters. It's an amazing book to read. Here are some of the, just the stats, because you may like that, for those who like stats. It's the 51st book in the Bible. It has four chapters, 95 verses. It has 1,998 Words. It has one question, 92 verses of history, and three verses of unfulfilled prophecy. This book has a lot in it. And so we're going to just begin to unravel what this means. This is one of four uh, prison, known as prison epistles where Paul was in prison. And so he was uh, able to write. Sometimes Paul was so busy in the things of God, that the only way I think God could slow him down to write those 13 books that we have in the New Testament was to put him in jail. Think about it. He was just too busy. I wonder. And, you know, that's not so far from the truth. We'll get there. Maybe get there today. I don't know. Um, I didn't get anywhere in the first service with my message, so it's going to be one of those uh, hopefully not rapid Rapid fire, but certainly hope that you get something out of this, that you are challenged as much as I am challenged by this amazing, beautiful book. Paul was obviously, as I said, in prison. The work he had done for his third mission trip to Rome, uh, that he was able to preach the gospel. And so many converts uh, from different pockets around the region become followers. Uh, what's interesting is Paul had never been to the Colossian church. He's never stood foot. He'd never seen you like I can see you now. He's never preached to them face to face. And so there are a lot of unknowns. And so Paul, obviously being in prison, relied on some very close friends to help keep him in the loop. This is a really great, exciting book. Paul is really quite excited by, this, by, by what he's about to write. But also we need to understand that he's quite confrontational. There are some challenges in this book that, that, we, that cannot go uh, unnoticed. This book of Colossians teaches us some key responses in times of transition and growth. Paul wrote this, as I said, on his third missionary journey, after, after his third missionary journey. Uh, it was delivered by a friend that he also knew quite well, Caius or Kicket, Ticklus. Ticklus, that's not even, that's not right. Ticketes. Ticketes was a guy who actually delivered the letter. And so he was associated with Paul, a good companion of Paul. He was the guy who actually delivered the letter in person. But there's somebody else. And how did Paul find out what was happening in the church? 
while another close friend that we believe, and scholars believe, and it's, there's evidence in Scripture, that he also served time with Paul. Nothing like being two crimson in the jail cell together. No, not really. But Paul spent time with Ephorus. And Ephorus is the guy who was the pastor of this home church. And so he uh, communicated with Paul, and Paul, in response, writes this letter with the means of the Holy Spirit overseeing all that was being communicated. Paul wrote to a, a city, the, the Colossians. Uh, it was 160 kilometres, uh, a city of east of um, what, which is called Ephesus. We hear that in Revelation and also the Ephesian church. It was in the Valley River Lysis and today is part of the country known as Turkey. Let's have a look at the map. You'll see a map there, just where they are. You can see the arrow pointing there and the dot and the little square just helps to highlight. So there was actually a bit of a trade route happening there. There was lots of uh, happenings going on, a thoroughfare, a um, bit of industry happening, um, lots of different things, charcoals and, and linen and all sorts of things happening there that were uh, pretty pivotal to the economy of this place. And as I said, Paul had never been there, but the influence of his message went there and God was able to speak and a church was formed. When we think of the Apostle Paul, we've got to recognise that this guy was a guy who really was so devout in his religious ways, when I say religious ways, in his understanding to persecute the church. He was uh, dogmatic about trying to uh, turn and destroy the church as we know it with his understanding and education. And on the road to Damascus, we know, uh, on his way to Damascus from Jerusalem, pardon me, uh, to persecute Christians, he was confronted by the risen Saviour and Jesus. And in that moment, his whole life dramatically turned around and he came, became from what was a Christianity's chief prosecutor to the greatest missionary we have seen. And because of Paul's work, we are here today. You follow the roots of history and you will see that that is the case. So thank you, Paul, for your message and your heart. So the book of Colossians will only be of great value for you and I if we put it into practice. It's one thing to hear something. It's another thing to hear it and then do it. We have to be doers of the word. Who knows, I was saying to, to Curtin that early on, that God is a fruit inspector. He inspects the fruit that we are producing in keeping with repentance. Think about that. So there's an importance that what we represent, who are we? Even in our shortcomings and our mishaps and our failings and everything else, we can still honour and glorify God. So Paul is writing to a group of believers he has never met. Didn't know their faces, didn't know who they were. You, you say, oh, there's John, or you know, he'd be like, who's that? He's got no idea. But that doesn't matter because God was writing not only to them, but God is writing to our very lives right now in this moment. So it is of great value that we put some things into practice. We must realise that the Bible was written to change the way that we live. And it's not just to inform, but to transform. Why read the Bible as another book unless it has power within its pages, and it does. People today are giving their life to Jesus around the world. The statistics are out there. Over 100 to 200,000 a day are giving their life to Jesus, and many of them are not having the gospel preached to them. They're just reading the Bible, and God is preaching to them through the Scriptures. 
Even if there's no preacher, God will even preach it. The angels would even preach it. So this is an inspiring book, a powerful book, an encouraging book, practical. It's filled with theology. It's simple and it's also deep. It's profound, but it's absolutely, incredibly marvellous. And I love this book. And I pray that my infectious joy and glee of this book will be something that you can can leave with today. Because it is my favourite book, as you can tell. I love this book. And the reason I love it is many, many years ago, we had a, a Bible lecturer and president from uh, Queensland coming to stay in our house in Victoria, Melbourne. And why he did, he got me onto this. As he was lecturing about following God and serving God and knowing God, he got me into this book and it changed my life. I was going in a certain direction, a certain way of thinking of doing life, but this book changed everything. It started to arrest my heart and my spirit and something changed in me. God spoke to me through this book and I know he will speak to you also. So be encouraged, friends. Be encouraged. God knows you by name. He knows how many hairs you have on your head and he is out to not only inform you but to transform you. We do have a saying it though, unfortunately, And how much God actually can do in us really is dependent upon our desire for God to do something. Because God will not override your will. He loves you too much to do that. Okay, there's a lot of simpler ways to do things. But God, almost in a sense, allowed us the freedom of will, the freedom of conscience, the freedom of choice. Let's have a look at one of the key verses. I don't know if I have this one, but in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, this is the crux of it. This is the center focus of this whole book. And it says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human form. And that was a statement that Paul wanted the the Colossians to get this because there are a lot of ideas and theories going on. Some of them, I don't even want to even speak in church. They, They were Pretty, pretty bad. But one of them was Gnosticism, which is to say that matter, excuse me, is evil. And so there was questions about how can Christ, Jesus, God, take on human flesh, take on evil? How can a holy God and a good God and a pure God do that? And so this is part of the premise. And we could spend a lot of time over the weeks just on that. There's a, there's a whole chunk of theology in this book. And in fact, this book, probably none other in the whole of the Bible, hear me now, speaks more of this Christology, this Christ's central focus and thinking than any other book. It is in this one. And so that packs a lot in four chapters. The question is why I study the book of Colossians? Because it reveals Christ. It reveals Christ in every situation, every day, every circumstance, every challenge, every battle. It reveals Christ. And you know what we need when we're in those places of battle and hard times and tough and difficult times, which we have? Yvette rightly mentioned, there are people who are hurting so much because they can't get together. They're in torment. Christians who are battling, they feel that they're in prison. Because they can't get together and fellowship and just have this is how God has made us to be. They can't have this. When we leave, we can pinch ourselves and go, God, I thank you for your grace. And I go. 
So we're extremely blessed. And we don't even know how long we have this blessing for. We don't know. No one does. God knows. And like what Yvette said, God won't be surprised. God is not surprised. So we need to learn in this book what we discover is how to put Christ first. Friends, we're going to start this one today. And as I said, it's going to be a little rough. It's going to be a, we've got a little bit of a storm we're going to go through, but we'll get to the other side. It's not for the faint-hearted. We're going to put Christ first in everything. And essentially, as I said again, the theme, the covering of this is to understand that this message is to help us experience the fullness of life in Christ Jesus. So there's great news here. There's great news when you feel in despair and you feel annihilated or you feel isolated. There is great news here. And I would encourage you to read these uh, four chapters in your time. Let's quickly have a look. I have a different chart. I've picked a chart that is not my, over, I'm overly familiar with it. I am. But it's, it's a very clear, simple display of information. Christ preeminent over all things. Supreme Lord, sufficient Saviour. There's a, there's a thought there. Have a look at the four chapters there. We have the first two chapters dealing with the supremacy of Christ and then we look at the submission. So what we're learning there is doctrine and then practical living. We're, we're learning on this side, belief. What you believe. And on this side, behaviour. How to live it out. That's what we do. Powerful. You can just get practical, but this has got theology and practical. There's a practical theology. What Christ did for us, what Christ will do for us. Christ our Lord, Christ our life and our love. Christ the head of the body, Christ the Lord of the universe. A new thought uh, introduced here only in the New Testament. Christ the head of the home. Practical. Not only does Paul talk about getting theology right, he talks about relationships, how to get that right. Who knows that our life is, is ebb and woed through relationships. Relationships help to shape who we are. Christ is the head of the home. There's instructions, warnings, reconciliation, creation, his person and word, exhortations in three and four, reminders, submission, conversion conversation as well, and his peace and his presence. So I hope this simplifies what we're going to be looking at over the next number of weeks. I'm serious, this little book, we could, Gabe said not to say it, but we could spend a very long time on this. I had a few verses to get through today, I think six. I got through one. Seriously, there's so much in here that we just can un unpack and so that could be just me because I just blabber too much. But anyway, let's have a look at this. <laughs> oh, dear. So Paul stresses the preeminence of Christ and the completeness of Christ. And so the very challenges and threats that were started to exist and form and shape around the church potentially were threatening the church. They were new believers, new converts. They weren't mature in their faith. And so Paul's got to tackle a lot of questions and a lot of issues. And so he begins with verse 1 and he starts to unravel this thing. There is a web of information here. It is absolutely magnificent. Seriously, folks, I can't, I can't say this enough. How powerful this book is and how powerful it will have, how much power it will have on your life. Excuse me, just going to have a little drink.
be going. Okay, hallelujah. Seven minutes. I'm just, uh, at least I'm consistent. Consistently late. <laughs> Paul was actually quite bold in this book, and that's why I want to, in a sense, understand when Paul starts to speak some of these words out, it is not nicey-nicey. It is like, okay, we're going to look at something together here. He talked about reshaping their, their thinking. As I said, beliefs to behaviour. This is it. If you've struggled as a believer, come back to this book and start again from verse 1 and just go through. If, you, if you're not sure of your faith, you're not sure of what you believe, what you hold to, what you, you, your faith, then you go back to this book. This is great. I love Romans. I love Hebrews. They're also my favourite. Look, every book is favourite. But this book, this book is so central to Jesus on so many levels that it, 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 will, just, it will just smash every idol, every falseness that tries to latch itself to our lives. This is where you can build your life as a Christian, as a disciple, as a follower of God on. There is so much here. And if anything, if I can just stir you to want to read this book, I think I've just, I've done everything. I've been, I've been a good boy. I can go home now and get a, get a lolly. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh dear. Okay, let's have a little look at this in verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Wow. They've not met Paul. Paul hasn't met them. So Paul's got to lay down his credentials. He's flashing his badge. I mean, the Reverend Paul is here. Will you all be seated. Okay. By the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ who are at Colossae, grace and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop there and just really focus on the first part. The first focus, the thought I want to leave with you today is knowing the call of God. Knowing the will of God for your life. One of the biggest, most questions that I've been asked over the years as a minister, somewhere along the line comes back to here. We all battle with this at times, wondering, am I in the will of God? And so what the Paul, the apostle, wants to set up is that I am an apostle called by God. Now think about this. I didn't share this in the first service. Paul is in where? Prison. I was like, that's, that's the last thing you want to declare. I'm an apostle of God. I'm in the will of God. Well, where are you, Paul? You're, you're bound. You're in jail. That's not a happy place. Fortunately, God was able to use this opportunity to slow him down so we could get this letter and hear the words of life that Paul wanted to share. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Can I be honest with you right now? And this is the challenge for all of us. We fail, we mess up. It's going to happen. You're going to let people down and people are going to let you down. But whatever you do, your journey, your mission, if you accept, mission impossible, sorry, is this, is this, to find and know and discover what God's will is for your life. Don't have to make it too super spiritual. I don't believe it is. I believe it's quite practical. That is the challenge for us. Paul calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ, one who's called to share and deliver the good news. 
Paul says, I am in the will of God. And it's by the will of God, even while I'm in jail, that I want to share some good news with you, church. And this is what he's saying. I love it. It's great. He writes to the Colossians with the authority of an apostle to assist the church in dealing with the problems. Well, they're probably saying, well, who are you, Paul? Reading the letter? Like, big deal. Who are you? Well, if you look at Paul's life and the transformation, as we mentioned earlier, this is a powerful statement, and it's a good question. And so Paul wants to get things done. He wants to resolve any issues where they think, well, I don't care what Paul says. Well, Paul's saying, you better care because I'm an apostle by the will of God. And so you need to listen, church. And this is the tone that he's writing in. He can do that because he's never met them. He's not worried if he offends them because he hasn't got that attachment to them. He's in jail. What are you going to do? They're going to come and stone him or something? He's in jail. Send him a bad report. Oh dear, I know when I was a new Christian early, when I gave my life to Jesus, there was this fear. I suppose it's a fear, I don't know, trepidation or something, that I thought that when I give my life to Jesus and I started to learn what it is to follow Jesus, that God was going to send me to Africa. And so I spent a lot of time praying, please God, don't send me to Africa. There was a song actually called Don't Send Me to Africa. I don't know if anyone will remember that. You could probably do a Google and find it. It's great lyrics. But it was really highlighting the fact that we, we're praying that God do this, but don't do that. We're dictating what we can do and not do. And so I was spending more time praying, don't send me to Africa. I want to serve you, but don't send me to Africa. But God got me in that moment. And I, when I was saying earlier in the first service that when I was speaking and met Gabe and now we were doing evangelism on the streets. We had a cafe where people were coming back. And as we were serving there, there was a conversation there where people thought I knew I liked Gabe. And some people had already tested and said, Gabe likes you. And so they set us up and said, Gabe wants to speak to you and Louis wants to speak to you. I go outside, yeah, what do you want to talk about? And she's like, oh, I thought you want to see me. Oh, okay, while we're here, I like you. This is, this is bad. Seriously, I'm not a romantic. You can tell, can't you? Anyway, I didn't get on my knee or anything. And uh, uh, so anyway, I, I, she's sitting on the, on, the, on the seat in the street. <laughs> that rhymes. <laughs> she's sitting on the seat in the street where we meet. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you. And uh, anyway, and I said to her, you know what? I don't know what God's going to do with us. I don't know what God's going to do with me. Are you prepared for the unknown, for the bizarre? And that's just me before anything else. And she's like, yes. I said, God could send us to Timbuktu, which I actually found out there's a real place, but I didn't know. I thought it was just a saying. Yeah. And so anyway, I said that, and, and Gabe said, yeah, I'm up for it. We, we, sometimes we've looked at each other over the years and go, man, do we know what we were saying? Man, has it been, sometimes it's been, a, it's been that jail, that isolation, that, that time you go, Lord, what are you doing? Paul is talking about knowing the call, knowing the will of God. There's nothing we can do any further in this book unless you and I, we cannot do anything for the next day or the day after until you and I identify with this as being primary. This needs to be our chief purpose and role. What is the purpose of God for my life? Remember, the theme is this, how to experience fullness of life in Christ Jesus. And who would have thought, who would have thought that's actually attached to the will of God and asking God, God, here I am, 
send me. Here I am. Use my life. Whatever gifts, whatever talents, use me. So I believe when I've spoken to all these people over the years, can I, uh, the will of God, you know what I, I say? It's very hard to get out of the will of God, but you can. It's very hard because sometimes people go, oh, I've done this, I don't know. No, it's very hard to get out of the will of God. But then I, I'm going to discredit what I've just said by it can be very easy as well. All you got to do is say no. No, God. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to help. I'm not going to, no. Tell me, after a while, something's going to shift. And where you thought that when God was speaking to you, you're not going to hear his voice anymore. The Holy Spirit's going to go silent. You keep talking to somebody who's not going to listen, who has cloth ears. There's a time. It's a long time before God gives up. In that sense of, of chasing us and pursuing us. Will man strive, will God strive a man forever? There are times where God says, I'm going to just give you some space here right now. I'm going to let you just walk this out until you need me. But I'm waiting and I'm ready. Do we know his call? Philippians 2.13 talks about, for God is, is the one working in you and me. Both to will, both to will. God works in us. So when we want to do something, we, God will work through that. We, we quickly, and I didn't share this in the first service, we brought a little what would you call it? A hutch thingy? Yeah, some, something. Anyway, it has glass doors and whatever else. And we brought this on, on, on Facebook yesterday. Had a look. But we were there for ages talking to this couple who'd moved over from Melbourne um, about eight months or so ago. And so they're new to Tassie and we'd start talking with them. Don't have a lot of friends, have no family. So we started to just identify with our struggle with not being with family and family coming over and, and theirs and we connected with them. They started to share, and we, we're, just, we're just talking like we've been old friends for ages. When we left, what we did discover and find out is that they've got two young children, and they can't get out sometimes to go look at things and do things because the children, it's, it's not easy, is it, Kristen, sometimes? Two young children. And so we come away, and what was burning in our chest is to say, hey, Gabe, reply back to her, weird as it sounds, and say, hey, you know what? Just by what you mentioned with us, if you would ever be okay with this, Gabe says, I'm happy to come over or work up some arrangement. I'm happy to look after the children so that you can go with hubby and do your shopping and have time away from the kids. See, is that be the will of God? It doesn't have to be some big lightning and flashing. Sometimes it can just be seeing a need and fulfilling it. For God is the one working in you. Romans says, according to Romans, God's will is good, acceptable and perfect. This is a guide. Robert Morris said this, hearing God is the key to change and growth. You know, not just growth, growth in Christ Jesus. Growth in Christ Jesus. Romans says in verse 2, 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? We've got to do something to discover this will of God. We can't follow the pattern of the world. We have to follow the pattern of the Bible, the prescription from the Bible, from the Holy Scriptures. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. 
So there's very expressions of this will. We're not going to explore that today because we can go everywhere, and I'm about to wrap it up. Can I encourage you that in all of what you do from this moment forward, know without a shadow of doubt God's will for your life. Know the call that is on your life. You say, well, that's just for the pastors. That's for the evangelists and the pastors, the teachers and the prophets. No, it's for you. It's for everyone. It's indiscriminate. It's everyone. We are equal before God. Different functions, different roles, different duties, different responsibilities. But we're all in some way got to say yes. Yes, Lord, I will follow you. And Paul sets this up because he says that, you know what? If we're going to do this, we're going to have this conversation. I'm in jail. I wish I was there. I can't get there, but I'm going to lay it out. I'm going to spread it out. And I said in the first service, and it sounds harsh, but if we don't sort this out, if we don't get to this place of discovering and hungering and wanting to know God's perfect will for us, I don't know what next looks like. We have got to be hungry to know and live and abide in the promise of God's word and in living in the will of God. I've got to do it. I've got to do it. It may be for some just praying. For some, it may be able to serve, some able to lead, some whatever it is. I'm not going to hear to tell you what it is. But you and I are on the journey where we've got to discover what it is and we're going to do it with all our heart. God did not create us, He did not create you to live without purpose and hope. I'm going to close. I've got so much to say, as everybody knows. I'm going to pray for you. Because this journey of this book is phenomenal. If you cannot find it in somewhere in your heart to be excited about what God wants to say and do in your life, I'm going to ask you to humble yourself before God and come back to him and draw near and sit and listen to him. Some people don't know what God's will is because they just don't wait. We've got our shopping list out and we're telling God everything that's wrong with the world and everything I want to do. Isn't prayer, listening prayer about able to hear what the Spirit is saying? How do I know what God wants? God, God, Gabe, knows what, how do I know what Gabe wants to do or wants me to do unless we talk, unless I listen, which I don't do very well. Let's pray. Father, help us to learn to get excited about all that you are revealing to us that you've called us and you want us to live in the midst of the pain and the mess and the yuck and the separation and the challenges of our world right now. You call us to live, to know and follow you and follow hard after you. A song many years ago said, give me one pure and holy passion. That desire to want to go after you. Surely nothing else matters. Nothing is more important than knowing that I am doing, that we are doing, we are living in that place of the good, acceptable and perfect will. 
So help us, Lord, as we journey in this book, as we unravel the, the sections and the pages and the verses, that you will show us who you are calling us to become. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's it. There's so much here. This book, it's full of it. Full, full of every answer you need. Full of questions that you need to know and, and ponder. It is, it is ready. It is ripe for the taking. So God bless you. Thank you for being part of this morning. For those who are listening and watching online, thank you and God bless you. And I pray this message will continue to unravel and challenge you in the days and the weeks to come. There, this is the toughie, but then we get into the real exciting, juicy stuff. God bless you.